Cardinals are off today, so it's time for another episode of the Cardinals Off Day podcast. I'm Ben Godar. With me, as always, is Ben Humphrey. Ben, how you doing? I'm doing very well. Uh, it feels like it's officially baseball season because the Cardinals have played the Cubs, uh, which took a little bit longer yeah, the- this year than it normally does. And play the Cubs at Wrigley, too. And I can't explain why, but somehow the game at Wrigley feels even a little bit more official to me. I don't know why that is. Oh, no, I but, agree uh, 100% with you. Uh, I And yeah. you, it just feels more like... Uh, I, I think growing up, we saw games there, and so... That's what I was thinking. It, it hasn't changed. like, and, and it does... The games at Bush, it's not the same Bush as it was when we were kids. So I think that's what it comes down to. I think you're right. It's the nostalgia factor, um, which is why uh, all of the boomer baseball announcers hate baseball now, because none of the games are played in the ballparks that they played in. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And 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 myriad other reasons the boomer baseball announcers hate the game. But but. Uh, uh, rather than focus on that, Ben, uh, why don't we focus on uh, what we've learned since uh, we last got together? So uh, what, what do you feel like you've learned? Um, I have uh, learned or perhaps had reaffirmed for me that uh, Harrison Bader as a league average hitter is a pretty nice player uh, because of his very good defense. And that's what we're seeing this year. Uh, we're seeing a batter. Uh, who's hitting about leg average and uh, is doing so without much pop, uh, which he flashed earlier in his career. And I'm very interested to see, you know, he's, he's treading water so far this season. He's that leg average bat, an elite defender, excellent speed on the bases, which adds a little bit of spice to the mix, shall we say. Um, so I'm very interested, uh, after reading Eno Saris's piece uh, several weeks ago at The Athletic about the humidors and how folks expect in places like St. Louis the humidors will help offense uh, in the summer. I'm interested to see if Harrison Bader heats up with the St. Louis summer and becomes something more than a league average hitter. And so... Uh, I think what I have learned is Harrison Bader is establishing a floor as a league average-ish player uh, without a very uh, appealing batted ball profile. And now I'm looking forward to see what he can do when the weather heats up in St. Louis and how the humidor and the squishy baseballs and everything play. And so uh, that is what I have learned. Well, isn't the, uh, isn't the old adage, speed never slumps? I believe and, uh, it is, but so I the, person, the person who said that never watched Vince Coleman play. So, <laughs> That's true. That's true. Well, uh, no, his, uh, his speed and his defense are, uh, are certainly preventing it from feeling like uh, as much of a slump. Uh, so uh, in terms of what I've learned, uh, Ben, I've been thinking about uh, – Dennis Green, a longtime NFL coach of uh, the Minnesota Vikings, but I believe he was coaching the Arizona Cardinals when he went on his famous uh, "They Are Who We Thought They Were" rant. Do you do you remember that particular rant? How could I forget? 
they are who we thought they were. Well, I have been thinking that uh, this Cardinals team is, uh, in a lot of ways, not who we thought they were, or at least not who I thought they were. And uh, if you remember, if folks remember our season preview, you and I kind of wrote a narrative for each other to read. And in my narrative that I wrote for you, you know, one of the things that I wrote was I said I expected elite defense um, to you know, lead to, uh, coupled with the favorable ballpark, to lead to very good run production. And I, I did expect you know, maybe improved offense, but still not spectacular offense. But uh, that's not what we've seen so far. Uh, this team is uh, on pace to win more than 90 games right now. Um, uh, ESPN, their formula for expected wins, which is just one of the many kind of you know, Pythagorean run differential type formulas out there. Um, the As I'm looking at it uh, today, uh, they actually would have the Cardinals two games ahead of the Brewers. Uh, the Cardinals uh, are third in just raw runs scored in the majors, as I'm looking at it right now. Um, so again, this is... Uh, this is a better Cardinals team than I expected. And in particular, this is a much better Cardinals offense than I really expected. So the question is, now it's we're into June now, so we're two months into the season, but, you know, is this real? Is this a mirage? And Ben, I kind of think this is pretty real. Um, and, you know, one of the things I look at is just the fact that it's not like this has happened with everything firing on all cylinders. You know, we over these last few weeks, we had O'Neill and Carlson um, – you know, go down. And, and frankly, after both of them having gone through pretty long stretches of not great production, but we had Gorman, Yepes, and Donovan come up, um, each produce fairly well. We had Arenado, you know, start the season off red hot. He cooled off a bit. Goldie, of course, has been on like a heater of all heaters. Uh, so I, I just mentioned those things because, you know, there's, there's so many weapons on this team that, um, you know, if they sag in one area, there's, uh, you know, they can rise in other areas. And I just, I really see that as being something that I think they're going to be able to sustain. So I think this is going to be a pretty formidable offense all season. And I'm, I'm pretty impressed by that. So that's, uh, that's something I feel like I've learned here of late. And, uh, to piggyback on that, I think the interesting thing about our narratives is I don't think either one of us uh, predicted that, you know, by pretty much by Memorial Day, they would have as many of the prospects that they had in AAA playing in St. Louis and playing regularly. And so the infusion of talent from Memphis has changed the profile of this team uh, a little bit and has has them looking like a team that has a lot of depth uh, on the offensive side of the ball to withstand injuries like the ones to O'Neal and Carlson. I mean, who could forget last year when we had Justin Williams and Scott Hurst up at this time of the year, uh, and they weren't really yeah. helping things. And, you know, when you swap them out for Yepes and Donovan, uh, and of course, Corey Dickerson, and I pause there for dramatic effect as a joke, but, um, right. but, uh, you know, I, you, they you know, have... I did not listen. It was very intentional that I did not listen. <laughs> <laughs> but so it's, uh, it's very heartening that it feels like, uh, Ollie Marmol is going to have to work to get everyone who can hit plate appearances. And that's a really good position to be in if you're a team. 
Yes. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So um, <clears throat> anyway, and we're going to we're going to talk more about all those uh, hitters uh, coming up later. Uh, we're going to um, answer some questions. We'll be talking about the pitching staff as well. But before we do that, we do have a new advertiser this week. So and I am just taking a look at this copy for the first time here. So uh, let me read this here. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, bada bing. It's your old buddy, Matt Carpenter here. Oh, my gosh. I think I see where this is going. Uh I'm back in the Big Apple hitting bombs, and I'm back in the kitchen making salsa. So check out Matt Carpenter's New York-style salsa. My original recipe was made with magic vegetables planted by Adam Wainwright, but my new recipes made with veggies Anthony Rizzo picked up at a bodega in Queens. I don't know if that's a selling point or not, but I guess that's laying out facts there. Um, get it in all four boroughs. Five, there's five boroughs, isn't there? I, yes. It says four here. Anyway, get it all four boroughs from Brooklyn to Manhattan, from Staten Island to Buffalo. Buffalo is not one of the, I, he, I mean, he's new there, I guess. this. I feel like this was cranked out. Uh, anyway, Matt Carpenter's New York style salsa. This stuff's made in New York City. So this, uh, the, anyway, the, I guess. It, it's really made in New York City, huh? It, is it that, is. Uh, this stuff's, and, and that's, it, it's presented as a selling point. Is that a is that a picante salsa? Do you think? Uh, I I assume so. He did not use the term picante in here, but I guess if they had picantes at that bodega in Queens, we can assume that it is a picante, a picante sauce. So, um, I mean, I'm excited to see Matt Carpenter, uh, you know, back uh, in the majors and you know doing well there, and so. I guess I'm, you know, it's nice to see his kind of entrepreneurial spirit has been uh, renewed as well. Yes, and uh, even though he had to shave his beard and now looks like uh, Mario or Luigi, um, it's he looks, he looks like Freddie Mercury. What it looks like. Yeah, he he does. I've also seen the uh, the Daniel Plain View from There Will Be Blood. Uh, pictures making the rounds as well, and there, there, yeah, there, there are a lot of good candidates there, and I do appreciate uh, how people have embraced the stash. Um, but it is really good to see, and um, it. What is also fun about it is his home runs aren't really. He hasn't had. Rem, you'll remember la, early last year when the Cardinals got him plate appearances, and he had a lot of hard. Uh, hit loud outs that were caught like at the warning track and and then he signed with the Yankees and I was like oh well if he hits balls like that they will be home runs and he has responded by hitting balls well beyond the wall (laughs) there's been uh, some real blasts off of his bat early this year uh, and it's reminiscent of the salsa fueled tear that he went on a few years ago and it's really great to see Absolutely. Absolutely. So anyway, uh, you know, I guess look for Matt Carpenter's New York style salsa in uh, finer grocery stores and bodegas, wherever, uh, wherever you may be. Um, But moving on, Ben, um, our first main topic of the day. And I think this is probably the thing that most Cardinal fans are thinking about on this off day. Uh, uh, Tyler O'Neill and Dylan Carlson um, have, you know, gone on rehab assignments their returns are imminent. And of course, we're recording this a little ahead of time. So it's possible that by the time folks are listening to this, 
we'll even know immediately or, uh, you know, what those moves are going to be. But I think we want to touch on both what might the initial moves be when they come back, but also kind of longer term, um, you know, since we've seen some of these younger guys come up and, and make a bit of an impact. What do you see the the lineup and the offense looking like going forward, especially with those guys back in the mix? Well, you have been uh, beating the drum for more of a Dodgers approach to roster construction and roster usage uh, since basically before we started this podcast. But uh, the podcast, I guess, creates the official record. Um, and and to your credit, you have said those things and i think you're right yes i have i have three ideas and that is that is one of my three ideas um and to to your point you know the dodgers are a team that you know they don't have a lot of guys get more than 600 plate appearances both because of injuries but also because of the way that they use their roster and um it feels like the cardinals could be that type of team in particular with the complementary pieces that, that seem to be establishing themselves. I think uh, Donovan as a left-handed uh, bat who can play in multiple positions gives them a lot of flexibility. Um, and Yepes, who's a very good hitter uh, and has a track record of hitting right-handed and left-handed pitching and has you know, had some bumps in the road of late uh, adjusting to major league pitching, but I, I think he's in the conversation as well. But then when you, when you use those players to complement, you know, a, a Dylan Carlson, a Harrison Bader and a Tyler O'Neill, um, all three of those players, by the way, have had injury problems in their careers. And so I think it makes sense to, you know, give them a little bit more time off. But when you look at the way you can mix and match, uh, with those players, and even a, a Tommy Edmond, um, you know, I think it gives uh, Ollie Marmol some options. But um, I, I think the first thing that they need to do uh, is get rid of Corey Dickerson. I, I think we've seen enough. Even with the two home run performance in Wrigley, he's just he doesn't really take good plate appearances. His swing just right. looks with, ugly. With the, uh, with, with the two the two dick dongs, let's please use the uh, the official term. I, I believe Jeff Jones was the first one I saw coin it, so I'll give him credit. The the, the two dick dongs, and I, I'm not sure if that's a uh, Katie Wu phrase that he uh, he used on Twitter uh, during the home uh, runs, yeah. and and I think she uh, may have been offline at the moment or something like that. And so I'm not sure well, if, who if officially created it. If that's the case, as with a trade or something like that, he should have said Dick Dong Woo first is what he should have credited. That. <laughs> yes, that is the proper. Uh, I, I can confirm uh, the, 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 that Katie Woo had this first. I can confirm a Dick Dong Katie Woo had this first uh, would have been uh, the proper uh formulation of that but he has an ugly swing like it's just not pretty to look at it's frustrating to look at and the contact it's just there's not a lot when you watch him hit to make you feel like good things are coming oh no no i no, i was just gonna agree with you there i mean i i think the easiest you know 
thing here, I think we all expect is that, you know, Dickerson's probably a DFA guy and, um, you know, they, they signed him, you know, relatively cheap as kind of free agent bats go to be that kind of professional hitter to hopefully, you know, plug that kind of hole that they thought they might have there. He's performed really, I think, at the the floor of what you thought you might get out of him. And on top of that, all of these younger guys you've had have have performed better than what you, you know, certainly better than the floor you would have expected for him. So he's really a redundancy. They hate to give up money, but they only signed him for, I think, $5 million. They signed him for a low enough amount that they would be acceptable, uh, you know, cutting bait, and it's time to cut bait. And I think that they have gone out of their way to give him an opportunity to grab hold of a roster place, a roster spot, and and make it his own. Uh, with the injuries to O'Neill and Carlson, he's gotten a lot of playing time and has not shown much until they rolled into Wrigley with the wind blowing out. But you don't make roster decisions based on how a guy hits with the wind blowing out at Wrigley. Uh, and so I think he's probably the one who is most likely uh, to go to make room on the major league roster uh, for O'Neill and Carlson. Now, they might option Lars Newtbar down to AAA first, uh, depending on the, the timeline of events. Like if Tyler O'Neill is ready a week before Dylan Carlson or vice versa, you know, we don't know what their timeline will be for being uh, activated from the injured list and, and their rehab stints. So it wouldn't surprise me if Lars Newtbar gets optioned first. Uh, yeah. but, uh, that only means that when the next one is ready, I, I think it is very likely that, uh, Dickerson, uh, is cut from the team. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I agree. I think, I mean, new bar going down is, is the other move that you would expect there. I mean, with, you've got two outfielders coming in and, and, and new bar, uh, he's new bar is in a tough spot. He's really, He's in that quad A spot right now, and it's it's tough to get out of that. And you know, it's it's that thing where, on the one hand, you could say, "Gosh, he doesn't get a lot of shots in the lineup to perform to kind of show that he deserves more of a shot." On the other hand, you know, the shots he does get, uh, you know, there's not a lot there. I mean, not that he does poorly. I mean, he made a great throw the other night, etc. But um, you know, he, he hasn't been able to distinguish himself in such a way to get out of that quad A spot. So I would uh, I would likewise, you know, expect Newt Barr to be the guy that goes down there. So um, so if those are kind of the immediate moves we expect there, longer term, how do you see these things shaking out um, what, or, or how do you see these roles maybe changing as as, you know, presumably all of these guys are available um, going forward? Well, I, I think what you're going to see and you need to see happen is uh, the team giving Albert Pujols far fewer plate appearances against right-handed pitchers. Um, he's gotten way too many uh, early in the year. And I, I can make a joke here about how the manager uh, is his renter and Pujols is his landlord. Um <laughs> But uh, I, I think the the reality is that 
we're kind of getting past the point where you want to take a look and see what Pujols has against certain pitchers because he's showing more and more often that he just can't hit right-handed pitchers very well anymore. And the Cardinals need to be very selective about his opportunities against them. And Mike Petriello from MLB.com had a uh, really interesting stat on the percentage of pitches Pujols has seen from right-handed pitchers in his career, or in the last five years, excuse me. And so in 2019, uh, with the Angels, 67.3% of the pitches he saw were from right-handed pitchers. In 2020, 58.7%. In 2021 with the Angels, it was 69%. Then he signed with the Dodgers and had success, which is why people were interested in him coming back to the Cardinals. The percentage of pitches from right-handed pitchers that Pujol saw with the Dodgers was 41.9%. Now, with St. Louis this year, it's back up to 675 And if you look at his splits, it's a, it's a huge gap. He hits for amazing power, a very high average against lefties, and a very low average and not much power against righties. And I think we all know, you know, Pujols is who we thought he was, to go back to Dennis Green, and he should not be getting plate appearances against right-handed batters once O'Neill, Carlson, Yepes, Donovan are all in the mix. It just, it should not happen. And Marmol yeah. needs to make sure it doesn't happen. Yeah, but but I think the point you make there is is the one that's worth noting, and that is that the fact that he has gotten them so far also is reflective of the fact that for much of the season so far, the other option was Dickerson, and as bad as Pujols has been against uh, you know uh, right-handed pitching. Dickerson was probably an even worse option, um, you know, for a lot of that time. So they, they really need to find that that better option there. And, and that one one kind of player who who's not on the 40 man yet and I think is going to be an interesting potentially in the mix down the line this year is Alec Burleson. And, uh, you know, Alec Burleson is very much behind Lars Newbar at this point um, in terms of uh you know, left-handed outfield uh, bats. Uh, and the Cardinals very much like to, you know, when you're behind somebody, they give that guy in front of you his shot and and they wait until they're done with him before they give you your shot. So I don't know when they'll decide they're done giving Lars Newbar his shot. Uh, we've seen that. And you know, we saw that last year, Justin Williams was around and on the roster and on the 40 man for, I think a lot longer than people wanted to see him, but the Cardinals really stuck with him, gave him his shot before they moved on. But, um, you know, Burleson is destroying AAA pitching right now. Uh, you know, Burleson is also a left-handed corner outfielder. Uh, Burleson has a much higher prospect pedigree than Newbar does. I think really the, the you know, future we can project for Burleson uh, is, is a lot higher than Newbar's. You know, Burleson was a second-round pick just in 2020, been a real, uh, you know, quick riser. I mean, he was a college kid, so not as quick. Uh, uh, Newbar was an eighth-rounder from 2018. So I wonder um, if we might see Burleson at some point. Uh, and in one way, I think we could see him, even with some of the moves we've talked about. Uh, you know, Juan Yepes came up and uh, was scorching the ball, 
uh, he's, you know, his production has been declining since then. And, you know, and I wouldn't say it's poor by any means, nor would I say it's unusual that, uh, you know, it's, it's um, fallen off a bit since he started, especially in his first taste of Major League Baseball. And in no way am I down on Juan Yepes's future. But, you know, if it continues at this point, and given that Yepes is another right-handed bat, and that this need is really there for a, a left-handed bat, uh, particularly that could kind of slide into that DH spot, I wonder if we might see uh, Burleson get a shot in there. Um, again, probably not in the real immediate future, but I, I could see that being a move we see uh, coming down the line. What, what do you think, Ben? Uh, it would not surprise me. Um, <clears throat> because this team, and we've talked about this, we've talked about this for two years, and I hate to beat a dead horse, but this team needs to get more uh, usage out of platoon splits. And in particular, they need to get more left-handed when they're facing right-handed pitching because this team is uh, an elite offense against lefties um, and not so elite against righties. And so what are teams doing? They're uh, loading up with right-handed pitchers and deploying them against the Cardinals because that's the best way to neutralize the Cardinals. And whether it's Lars Newtbar or whether it's uh, Burleson, they need to get more left-handed. Uh, Brendan Donovan is another good example. They need to leverage these players um, and give them an opportunity uh, to succeed in that role because it will really help the team uh, if they are able to experience success. And they also need to have conversations with players like you know O'Neill and Harrison Bader and Tommy Edmond uh, about how they may not play much against right-handed pitchers because they're not as high a performers against them. Uh, and that's not a knock on them, but maybe they're 500 to 600 plate appearance players instead of 600 to 700. And you can get these other younger players uh, at bats against right-handed pitching that allows you to leverage their skill set in a way that helps the team win. And that's Ollie Marmol's job. And it sounds like that's what the front office wants Marmol to do. And so I'm interested to see uh, how the front office shapes the roster to allow him to do that, uh, especially in the next few weeks with the potential for a roster shuffle in the mix. Well, yeah, and you, and you mentioned Donovan, who we hadn't really talked about, but frankly, I hadn't mentioned him because I don't think Donovan's going anywhere. I mean, I think Donovan is just, Donovan is so solid at the plate. Donovan can play all over the field. I, I don't see, uh, you know, in, unless Donovan, you know, suddenly uh, starts to just really have a, an issue at the, at the plate or something, which I don't see happening. I don't see Donovan leaving the major league club at this point. Oh, no, neither do I. Um, he, he, he takes a very good plate appearance. He has a very good approach, which is not terribly surprising if you've watched him at all in the minors. Uh, sometimes uh, players with that more advanced approach, they can, you know, I, I always think of that Mike Tyson. I can't remember who he was fighting, but the guy kept talking about how he had a plan. And then Mike Tyson knocked him out in the first round and they interviewed Mike Tyson in the ring and Tyson said, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like sometimes guys who have that advanced plate approach, when they get up to the majors, it's like getting punched in the face because the pitching is so much 
the, it's just another level higher and it takes them a little bit of time to adjust to what they're seeing at the major league level from pitchers. But Donovan, I, you know, he has a very good idea of the strike zone and he grinds and he's kind of a, a frustrating hitter to face. Cause he, he hits a lot of singles on, you know, he doesn't try to do too much with pitches. So he's harder to get out. Um, but he can do a lot with pitches. He has a little bit of pop too. And so uh, he is a very nice uh, bench player, you know, a guy who you can get 400, 500 plate appearances from in that range. Uh, and he can help the team win because uh, he can hit righties and lefties and work the count against both of them. And so I'm real interested to see uh, what he can do with his opportunity the rest of the year because he's had a really great start. Yeah. All right. Well, well shifting gears, uh, I feel like on the on the pitching side, the the thing that everyone, um, I feel like, keeps talking about are, uh, are innings. And, and uh, everyone's concerned about getting, uh, you know, getting quality innings pitched. And, and obviously the, the starters have not been going late into games. So what does that mean? Do, do the starters need to pitch longer? Do they need different starters? Do they need to uh, utilize their bullpen differently? Do they need to piggyback guys? Uh, what, what do they need to do? And, and Ben, what do you see the Cardinals doing going forward? Do you think the, the pitching staff is, is it a problem right now? Is it a crisis? Is it, about what you expected? What, what do you think? Well, I think the double headers are uh, a problem for this team. And the first innings crunch, such as it was, uh, was created by Mother Nature, uh, which forced them into that double header against the Mets. And, you know, this team felt the ripple effects of that uh, for an extended period. Um, and, you know, I I think that sometimes we get a little myopic uh, as Cardinals fans uh, because of the nature of coverage in this day and age. You can watch every inning of Cardinals baseball and digest every bit of information about them, no matter where you live in the world today. And it's a beautiful thing. Uh, but I think a side effect of that is looking at how... Uh, Major League Baseball overall is faring uh, so far this season. And, you know, Major League Baseball, uh, league-wide, the uh, starting pitchers are averaging under five and a third innings pitched per start. It's between five and 5.33. And actually, it's closer to five innings than 5.33. And so when you look at that and, and you kind of let that sink in, um, it, it makes you realize that maybe the Cardinals relievers aren't having to cover as many innings as the relievers are in bullpens across Major League Baseball. Um, and so when you, when you look at that and then you hold the Cardinals up against uh, that backdrop and you see the Cardinals, you know, they're averaging a tad under five innings pitch per start. So they're on the low end. Um, but a big part of that is Jordan Hicks and the movement 
to stretch him out, which has been cut short by injury. And one of the reasons that we didn't really pile on with Jordan Hicks and call the experiment a failure is, you know, you can't really tell much from eight starts, especially when you're start when you're trying to stretch out a pitcher who hasn't thrown for a couple years. Um, but so the primary cause of that, I think, is the Jordan Hicks experiment. Um, the rosters are going to shrink, and so I think they are going to need more length out of the rotation. Um, and it will be interesting to see how they approach it. Um, but to me, I think the Hicks experiment was the right experiment. I think I would have done it in the minors instead of the majors, but I also understand the idea of, Hey, we got a guy who throws an otherworldly sinker and we want to use every one of those pitches in the majors. But now yep. that Hicks isn't in the picture anymore, they, I think they are going to have to get a little bit, uh, more creative. And I think they will with Zach Thompson and calling up Liberator. I, I think uh, we could see a little bit more creativity when they have a long stretch of games without days off. Um, what do you think, Ben? Well, I'm uh, interested to hear the that league-wide statistic that you quoted there. I hadn't actually heard that specific number, but that was very much my sense was that as much as we've maybe had consternation about this as Cardinals fans, that mostly this is just kind of the way that it is now in baseball. And, uh, you know, that, that starters just don't go, you know, you know, seven and eight innings or even six innings as so much of a rule anymore. So, uh, so I don't know that the Cardinals are real major outliers in terms of the, the amount of time they're getting out of their starters. So I don't know that I'm, I'm, incredibly you know concerned about that i do feel like um you know there's an interesting uh, just as i look at um you know their the the guys that they have you know wainwright certainly is you know wainwright is wainwright and and as long as he's healthy and he's been healthy for a pretty long stretch of time now you feel rock solid with him flaherty of course the you know the reports are great um, you hope that he comes back and he's healthy. And if, if, of course, if you have a healthy Jack Flaherty, you know, he launches himself up to the top of your rotation as well. Um, you know, Miles Michaelis, we've talked about, has been very good this year. Again, a guy I think you're pretty, you know, feel pretty comfortable saying is, is one of your starters. And, you know, Stephen Matz, um, you know, sh- uh, shoulder injuries are, are horrifying. But it sounds like it's, you know, the reports are still that he's on a, you know, coming back relatively quickly. Maybe it wasn't too um, you know, too bad of an injury, uh, and, uh, production wise. And again, I know he had some weird kind of blow up outings, but I, I still trust Steven Matsk quite a bit as well. So, you know, there, so there's four guys right there that for me, um, I feel reasonably comfortable in that, uh, kind of more or less traditional starter role, even with the asterisk that, yeah, these guys are more often going to go, you know, five, six innings uh, that, you know, that might be all they do. You know, beyond that, I think it gets pretty um, uh, interesting, you know, in terms of, you know, what do the Cardinals do beyond that? Uh, you know, I, I was I was a big believer in the, the Hicks experiment. And, and, you know, I think Hicks will be back at some point. And, and I, I'd like to see them continue to push forward with, you know, using Hicks for multiple innings. And I, I still believe that his best future could be as a, a, you know, as a starting as a starter, as kind of a multiple inning guy. Um, Obviously, you've got Hudson, um, who 
I don't believe in at all. <laughs> I think you reminded me this week. I guess I'd called them a, a name brand John Gant at one point in time, um, which I will. Uh, I'll stand by that. Um, I think I think Hudson is just an uh, an implosion waiting to happen. Um, but uh, you know, and then you know, Libertor and Thompson, you know, are you know young guys who I think will get some shots in there. Um, uh, you know. G- Different guys who could come in there and, and uh, fill some innings for you. And I don't think any of them looks like they're going to uh, be, uh, you know, ready to step in there and be a amazing kind of frontline starter yet. And then you've got guys like, you know, Andre Payante, who has very quietly been pitching almost starter like innings, you know, in kind of middle relief. So, you know, that's a lot of guys there. Um, I, I'm heartened by some of the creativity that I've seen Marmol using with that mix of guys. I thought it was interesting having Zach Thompson make his major league debut and, and pitch, uh, what was it? Four innings, um, uh, in relief. Um, you know, that's, you know, again, that's, that's a little out of the box. I don't feel like that's something that we would have seen Mike Schilt do. Um, so, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm interested, I'm interested to see, you know, kind of how they, you know, how they plug those, you know, how they plug those holes. Do you feel like this is a team that might go out and make some kind of a trade or an acquisition at some point, given that those are the pieces they have to work with? I I think that they would have to have another injury. Like if Matt is lost for the season, let's say, let's say heaven forbid, but he has a shoulder impingement. uh, One of the weirdest uh, IL terms in baseball um, and so let's say that he goes down. I, I feel like they almost have to make a move. Yeah. Um, and so I don't think that they will do that as long as they feel that Flaherty and Mats are going to come back and join the rotation. Um, but if that plan is cast into doubt uh, by a recurrence or a setback by either one of them, you know, with it being the farewell tour for Pujols and Yachty and probably Wainwright, and with the way Goldschmidt and Arenado are playing, it really feels like it would be irresponsible, especially given how they're neck and neck with the Brewers, really, um, so far this year, that it would be, frankly, irresponsible to the players and the fans to not go out and say, we're going to go for the division this year. We want to play in the World Series with Albert Pujols, Yadier Molina, Adam Wainwright, and peak Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado. Um, At least that's what I tell myself. But, you know, I also know how Bill DeWitt operates with John Mosellock as the president of baseball operations. And all signs point to no trade uh, unless they can get uh, something on the discount rack that they can turn into serviceable starting pitching uh, for a few weeks. That seems to be the path they have taken for what eight years now, seven eight years now. Um, yeah, but so, you know, eight, eight years ago is when they made the uh, the John Lackey trade, and that is yep. that is the one trade that it does feel like. And again, eight years is a long time. But that's the template that feels like is kind of in play here. And I would say in particular, if Paul DeYoung were to play his way into some value down in uh, in AAA, because I don't really feel like 
there's a spot for DeYoung on this club right now, or at least there's not a, if you were going to bring DeYoung back, then what are you going to do with Edmund or, you know what I mean? Like you, you, you're going to have a, a piece that you, you need to move there somewhere. So, um, so, so one way or another, I could see, I could see something like that happening, but yeah, I, I, you know, betting on the Cardinals to spend money or make a big trade is never, especially mid season is never something that I would do. But that said, there, there's a template there we've seen before. And I, I think that's at least a possibility this year. Yeah, it, if there was a year, it certainly feels like this would be the one. Yep. Um, but there's also a part of me that's like, yeah, but Bill DeWitt locked the players out and drove a hard bargain to expand the playoffs so he could say that his team is competitive without spending money. And so I don't have a lot of faith in Bill DeWitt authorizing such an expenditure. Um, also, well, because we haven't he even heard... Spend, he didn't spend money on that John Lackey trade. And that's why that's a good comp, too. You know, he found... Oh, that's a good point. He found a guy that's a good that, point. He found a guy that... what You know, so again, I mean, of course, you're not going to find that exact deal. But, um, you know, I think that comparison could still survive that. So... Um, and, and so Ben, and I'm slight segue here, but one guy we didn't, I'm going to segue into our questions. Um, but the first question actually deals with one guy we didn't specifically mention as we we're talking about pitchers there. Uh, and it's Anna and Anna sent in a question via Substack, And she said, I'm curious to know what you think of the clamor for making Woodford a starter and what, uh, we, the fans might be missing about him since the organization has opted to use him or not in other ways. Um, and I know I, um, I think a f- couple shows ago, um, just, uh, <laughs> I don't remember what my, over- I think my overall point was just that Jake Woodford's not that good. Was that, is, what do you recall? Was that basically my overall point? <laughs> uh, I think that was actually the topic on the outline that we had. <laughs> well, it was, I think exactly that Jake Woodford is not that good. <laughs> right. Which, you know, and I would stand by that because I wouldn't write Jake Woodford is bad or Jake Woodford is terrible, but Jake Woodford's not that good. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, and, and it, it is interesting. And I have to say though, this is one of those areas where I've been a little heartened by the organization because, you know, Woodford is a guy who last year and in, you know, in very limited kind of, uh, role and and early this year in very limited role, you know, had success and I'm making air quotes here. You know, low ERA things like that. So I think there's a certain way to look at that and and say, oh, this guy is really good. Um, but none of the underlying stuff I think points in that direction. And the track record, the pedigree, um, I, I I didn't see any of that there. Um, and I feel like there's been times where the club would run with a guy like that and say, well, we got to see where this goes. And they really haven't with Woodford. I, I'm I, frankly, I'm surprised at how little they've used Woodford. So, um, uh, you know, I guess they have maybe kind of seen some of those same things that, that I was reacting to. Um, and, and to me, it's been appropriate how they've used him. How do you, how do you feel about that? Oh, I think it's been appropriate as well. He's a, and this is going to sound kind of withering, I'm afraid, but he's he's a replacement level right-handed pitcher. Like he's a he's a tweener who doesn't have a good enough repertoire to be a major league starter, which is why he has just basically become a sinker baller uh, the last two years. 
um, and has all but eliminated usage of his changeup and curveball. He's basically, you know, a sinker slider pitcher who will mix the four seam in now. And he's had success doing that because he's been able to cut down on walks a little bit. But, you know, Jake Woodford as a starter, um, you know, I think I was looking, I, I, and I, if I remember correctly, I don't think he's thrown more than six innings in a couple years in a game. And uh, he has never done it in the majors. And so if you're a team that's averaging a tad under five innings per start and you want to increase that, Jake Woodford is not going to do that. Jake Woodford is just going to give you four, four and a third, five and a third innings. Yeah. And so, uh, and, and that would be probably on the better end of his result possibilities uh, would be that type of innings pitch total. So, and we should, I'm okay. I'm okay with him riding the Memphis shuttle. Cause I think they're using him appropriately right now. Well, and I was just going to note for listeners that we're, we're recording this before the, the doubleheader in the Cubs series. I, I've heard suggestions that he might pitch in one of those games. So in the event that he throws a perfect game in one of those, Ben, I think I should go back in and delete this section. Would you agree with that? <laughs> or we can take credit for the reverse jinx. Oh, okay. Um, okay. That, that usually comes about uh, when we immediately after we make such an assessment and then we're proven correct over the weeks that follow. Um, So uh, we'll, we'll take credit for Jake Woodford's no hitter, uh, but I will never stop using the screen grab of his reaction to Nick Castellanos. (laughs) Please don't, please don't. It brightens, it brightens my day so often. Uh, Speaking of things that brighten someone's day, S Johnson at Joe underscore target asks, why can't we get at the Rick Ankeel back on the broadcasts? And S. Johnson, I feel like this is one of those times where you're using Twitter to kind of like yell to the universe and you're yelling it to us because, um, as you may know, Ben and I don't don't uh, hold high positions at Bally Sports Midwest, so we don't have the power to do that. But, but I understand I've certainly uh, shouted things at Twitter um, at, at different places as well. Uh, Ben, how do you feel about the, the Rick Ankiel? Do you wish he was back on, on some of the broadcasts? Yes. Um, I have come to the conclusion that I think that they need to have four or five guys who rotate in, uh, because I just don't think that they do much to develop their talent. And it, you know, it started with Al Roboski where he just became nails on a chalkboard yeah. uh, as the analyst. And I think, you know, we kind of talked about load management. Yeah. I think they need to do that for analysts in the TV booth where. Well, and they, they, they have to, you know, to their, to their slight credit since the days when it was Roboski on color all the time, they have gone to a split since then. You know, so it is always yes. a bit of a split. But, but I, I still, I, I take your point that you would like to see it even more so. And and I think what you're really getting at is less Jim Edmonds. Yes, that is exactly what I'm getting at. Less Jim Edmonds. Um, I would also, while we're on the subject, like for KMOX to get rid of Ricky Horton entirely because he's an embarrassment. <laughs> um, and if that means Rick and Keel splitting time between radio and television, uh, that sounds wonderful to me. Is Rick Ankeel back? I, I, I apologize. I haven't really watched many of the post games this year. 
is he in the like studio post game or is he still in his like rec room post game? I have not. I have a baby at home, right? And yeah, uh, and I basically am going to bed and I catch up on quotes the next morning because no, I'm just I've been turning it off too. You know, so so maybe he is, but I feel like I've only seen Rick and Keel like broadcasting from his like rec room like i'm like is he on house arrest is what i'm trying to ask people here because that's that's all he might be or maybe uh he's the only one being sensible about the covid risk uh over at at the uh bali sports midwest or bali sports midwest uh broadcast well good good on rick and kill either way so at any rate i think we would both enjoy seeing more of him we tend to enjoy him and just seeing more variety in general so um, we had several questions kind of related to Carlson and O'Neill that we, we I think we kind of touched on already. So Uncle Frank at FR Robinson asked um, uh, when O'Neill and Carlson return, will Dickerson be DFA'd? And I think we both said we, we expect that to happen. Um, Swing for- and, and we think he will be the, the second roster move. Yeah. So yeah. if they both happen at the same time, you know, Newt Bar will be optioned and Dickerson will be DFA'd, but I think right. Dickerson stays as long as possible. Right. And the reason for that, and, and folks at home, if you're playing along at home, remember the part where Bill DeWitt gives away money always happens last. And that's why. So, <laughs> because even if it's like two days later that the second guy is going to come off the DL, something else could happen before then that they could still use Dickerson from. And then he'd still get some value out of that sunk cost. So that's why that's the case. Uh, and swing for the arch at swing for the arch. Likewise asked um, who would go down if they came back. So we kind of said initially, yeah, we definitely think uh, probably new bar would be the other piece of that. Um, and then what, one kind of somewhat related question, Adam Bax uh, at Adam Bax four asked if everyone is healthy, what's your ideal lineup positions included? So I think I get the sense he's maybe talking kind of batting order and lineup here. Ben, I don't know. Do you have a thought on kind of an optimal lineup or batting order? Um, I think Donovan, I think it depends on if it's a lefty starter or a righty starter uh, for me. Um, I think, uh, and people uh, may be surprised, but I think we've been pretty consistent that uh, Tommy Edmond is a utility player who should bat lead off uh, when he is, when the team is facing left-handed pitching. Um, And I think Donovan should bat lead off when the team is facing a right-handed starter. Um, Goldschmidt, number two, is perfect for me. I think that's a, a great choice. I think Arenado, three, is A-OK, too. And I'm also okay uh, then with them kind of going with who is taking good plate appearances or who has good uh, numbers between you know, O'Neill or Yepes or Pujols, like Pujols batting cleanup against a lefty is great. Yepes batting cleanup against a lefty is great. O'Neill batting cleanup against a lefty is great. Um, so how you would want to break that up, you know, I'm not really picky or choosy there. Uh, I like, um, I like Carlson uh, batting, Fifth, I I think that's that's a nice compliment there, and then, you know, going through six, seven, eight, nine. Bader batting nine so he can steal bases. I'm okay with, um, but I also wonder if he's going to give you more pop if he 
can do the same things and give you the same value uh, out of the six hole. Uh, and then with respect to catcher or shortstop, you know, if it's Sosa or Kisner, Yachty, I mean, I think the catcher should probably bat eighth most of the time. And then probably the shortstop seventh uh, would be the way that I would break that down. So would you, would you start Sosa over Edmund more than sometimes? Is that what I'm hearing you say? Um, I would, I think they're, they're pretty close uh, in terms of true talent against right-handed pitching. And I think Sosa is a better defender at shortstop. So I, I probably would start Sosa probably at least as often against a righty starter as uh, Edmund hmm. um, uh, for the remainder of the season. Yeah, I, th- I think I probably would. Hmm. Um, I, I'm, I'm, much but, low, I'm much lower on Sosa as a hitter than you are, I think. But um, I don't think I'm any higher on I, Edmund than you are, but I just don't, I don't really see uh, much value in Sosa as a, as a hitter. No, he doesn't have much value. But, um, but, but, I but, don't you, think... but your argument is Tommy Edmund batting left-handed <laughs> doesn't have that much value. Yes, that's, that's exactly right. Um, and so then it comes down to defense. And so I, you know, Hey, maybe it's, maybe it's Donovan at shortstop in that circumstance. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, and that gets, at, but it, that's, it, 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 no, and I, sorry, just to jump in, you know, I, to me, a question like this, like I, um, I, I really think more in terms of like the 162 and to me, I'm more interested in seeing a good mix throughout the season. So I yeah. tend to not sweat any individual days line. And partly, you know, that's because I just spent so many seasons watching Tony La Russa use, you know, 165 different lineups in a 162 game season. Right. So it, that that beat out of me the the need for there to be, uh, you know, a, a, a perfect lineup and batting order all the time. So so, yes, when somebody is is routinely you know, misplaced either in the lineup or at a spot in the order, it definitely starts to aggravate me. But, but yeah, to me, it's more about seeing that mix. I'd love to see more use of the platoon splits, um, you know, more creativity, things like that. So all those kind of things that you said right there. Uh, Andrew Hall at Andrew H. Hall 2011 asks, will Burleson get a call up in 2022? And we kind of hit on that. I think we both agreed that we think he will. Are you, 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 were you fully on board with me on that? Yeah, I I think he's going to get a call up this year, and I'm excited for it. I think he's in a he's a real interesting player uh, who could really help the team. Yeah, uh, agreed, agreed. And, and I have to say, I just you know he's he's destroying AAA even more than I realized he was. Just kind of looking looking down there. So um, you know, who knows? It could be sooner than later. Um, and I think especially if they just continue to see that you know nothing coming in that. DH, uh, you know, production against uh, against right-handed pitchers. Uh, Sachin Parikh at uh, S. Parikh 11 asks, is Pujols, and I thought this was an interesting question, by the way, is Pujols an auto-lock for a postseason roster? The Nostalgia Tour has been working for now as he's been playable, but at that point, wouldn't roster optimization be the priority? Ben, do you think there's a chance we get to the postseason and the Cardinals don't roster Albert Pujols? No, 
Yeah. <laughs> I, he's he's too good against left-handed pitching. Yeah. And I think that allows them I that is they have a lot of hitters who are very good against left-handed pitching, but in the postseason, and we've all seen it, right? You know, it, Matt stares from the left-handed side, but we've all seen that bench bat who you have for specific circumstances, whether it's a lefty starter or lefty reliever, and you're going to force the other team to face this guy. Yeah. And, and I think he's a lock and, the fan in me wants to see Albert Pujols play for the Cardinals in the postseason, uh, and so I'm not even really at all upset. I'm actually looking forward to that and hoping that it happens. Uh, like Albert Pujols taking a plate appearance, like batting cleanup against a lefty starter, you know, yeah. uh, in the postseason is really exciting to me. <laughs> So I'm excited for that. Oh, yeah. Well, or they, they bring in that left-handed reliever who's got the three-batter minimum, and Pujols comes in to pinch hit in a you know, key late-inning situation. Um, you know, that would, be, uh, that would be phenomenal for sure. Um, yeah, I agree. Uh, the other thing, too, is that, you know, that last spot on your bench is it's just not that, it's not that valuable, you know? I mean, it's kind of like, what are you, you know, what are you giving up there? And also, I'd point out that, I mean, he's on the team right now, and and all these guys are are on the team now. You know, Gorman's on the team, Yepes is on the team, Donovan's on the team. Um, uh, you know, even you know Newbar's on the team right now, right? And, you know, obviously we think he's going to go down, but I mean, you know, there's not. I, I don't know who you would really be adding. I mean, I think the only from the guys we've talked about right now in the mix, um, you know, to me, I think potentially if things break the way we're we're, we're expecting them to break, and there's not like another injury. You could see sort of maybe a, a Yepes Burleson maybe being kind of a either or kind of thing on the roster, but um, you know I think you could live with that to, to have Albert Pujols on there for sure. Um, all right, so I think this is our last question here. JD at JD Alfonso asks, and he provided some screenshots here, but I think we can describe them. Uh, he asked, "Does it worry you that Arenado's stat cast numbers?" Uh, on offense are fairly similar to Edmonds as of June 3rd. And, and he provided a couple screenshots from uh, baseball savant. Um, he says, I know this data doesn't account for launch angle. Edmund routinely strokes the ball on the ground is an improvement in launch angle. All the difference in Tommy being a convincing starter. So, um, and for folks, I know we've talked about baseball savant before. If you haven't gone there, Ben and I are big fans. Um, just some of the data visualization they do there. A lot of it is, you know, I think what we tend to think of as stat cast um, type data um, that, you know, some of the exit velocity, uh, uh, you know, just some of those other things that are kind of being measured live there. But some of this stuff is, it also does include some more traditional metrics, like for batters here, I'm looking at, you know, there's strikeout percentage, walk percentage, things like that as well. So it shows you all these things. It does this cool percentage, this cool uh, visualization where everything's on sliders. So it shows you whether they're at like the, the first percentile or the 99th percentile. Um, and I think what Ben and I really like about it is it looks like a video game, right? Where you, you know, you make your player better and you, the sliders move up. So, but it, it's honestly just kind of a neat way, uh, a visual way to look at a player because, you know, great players, the sliders tend to be, you know, moved way over to the right. 
And, uh, you know, and he's right. Certainly when you look right now, um, as of June 3rd, when he sent this at Edmund and Arenado, there's definitely some similarities in their sliders, particularly in things like ex-WOBA, um, et cetera. So Ben, how would you respond? Um, I am very heartened by Nolan Arenado's 2022 uh, batted ball profile. And I was quite concerned about it uh, last year um, because in 2020 he had the shoulder injury and all his performance fell off. And then in 2021, he didn't quite bounce back uh, like I had hoped he would. Um, and so this year uh, we have seen uh, the type of positive t- development uh, that you would want to see. Um, and if you if you look at the the top of the page from Statcast, there are uh, there are a lot of similarities uh, looking at that information between Arenado and Edmund. Um, and we should also say uh, just a little bit as an explainer. Uh, expected weighted on base average Statcast takes all of the data for major league baseball and they they develop uh, a value for balls hit at certain launch angles at certain miles per hour and then they take that and they substitute that information in for a player's batted balls and they keep all of their other events, so strikeouts, hit by pitches, walks. And that's what expected weighted on base average is. And then we also have expected weight on, weighted on base average on contact, which is just the batted balls. And there's a lot of folks who anticipate a big change when they update this uh, with the data for this year because... Rob Manfred and Major League Baseball have made the baseball a dead ball. And I think I saw where it's, uh, you know, on a barrel, barrels are traveling something like between five and 10 feet less. So they're, you're not getting the same distance if you hit the ball hard because the ball's dead. And so we could see a big shakeup in all of this information. But so what I'm going to talk about is uh, the primary reason that I don't see a similarity between Arenado and Edmund, uh, even with the expected data, is Tommy Edmund is a ground ball hitter this year, and Nolan Arenado has never been a ground ball hitter. And uh, so the the most striking thing here uh, is that Nolan Arenado is not a ground ball hitter. For his career, he's a 35.7% ground ball hitter. Uh, and this year, he is just like extremely not hitting the ball on the ground. He's hitting fewer than 25%, uh, even actually below 24% this year of his batted balls are on the ground. He's hitting the ball in the air and he's trying to hit the ball in the air like he's always done. Um, And he's doing this with line drives. Currently this year, he would have, uh, if the season ended today, uh, he would have the second highest line drive rate for his career behind his rookie season and the rest of his balls are hit in the air and if you compare him to Tommy Edmond uh, Tommy Edmond and we've talked about this here on the podcast Ben T- 
Tommy Edmond is at his best when he's hitting line drives. Well, Tommy Edmond this year is not hitting line drives. He's hitting ground balls. His ground ball rate is over 51%. It would be the highest of his career. His line drive rate is below 18% uh, as we record here today, which would be by far the worst of his career. It's over 4% percentage points lower uh, than his career rate. Uh, and his fly ball rate uh, would be the second lowest of his career. And also, oh, by the way, he has an infield fly ball percentage over 20%, which is terrible, and is more than double his career rate. And if you look at that and you look at batters who have hit ground balls over 50% of the time, there are not many batters who have had uh, seasons that are all-star quality or even MVP quality. And so Christian Christian Yelich comes to mind, but his great seasons with the Brewers, he got down below 50%, just a tad over 50%. And he just, he when he didn't hit the ball on the ground, he killed the ball in the air. And he's kind of the outlier there. And so the question you have to ask yourself is, you know, is Tommy Edmund Christian Yelich or... Uh, or not. And I think it's more likely that he is not. Uh, the other thing is uh, with these ground balls, uh, I think early in the season, and you heard Ali Marmol talk about this, they wanted Edmund to work on pitches on the edge. So he wasn't getting himself out. And to his credit, and I had some tweets about this, he was doing a good job of that early in the season. Um, last year, he got himself out a lot on the shadow of the plate or the edges of the strike zone, whatever terminology you want to use. Um, and so far this year, he's done a lot better job of not doing that, and he's worked more walks. But what you've seen this month is, or excuse me, last month in May, his walk rate dropped down below the league average after being very high for the first month because pitchers aren't scared of Tommy Edmond, and they're going to challenge him. And I think what we will probably see in June is how he reacts to that and how the pitchers react to his reaction um, and whether or not he can do damage with pitchers challenging him in the zone more and being less willing to give him, give him a free pass. And, you know, I, I think they're going to keep challenging him and I think we're going to see the walk rate continue to go down. And I think we'll continue to see the ground balls. And yeah, he's going to pull a ground ball down the line and get a double or a triple every once in a while or something like that. But he just doesn't hit for a lot of power. And so he doesn't pose a threat to pitchers. So there really isn't that much of an incentive for them to not challenge him uh, and to continue to give him those walks. Whereas Nolan Arenado, when he's getting balls that he can drive, he does damage with them in the air in the form of home runs and doubles. And so his walk rate is going to probably continue to be healthy. Well, and, 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 and so also I think, I think that's the big difference. Yeah, And, and also I think, um, you, you know, I would say if these were, you know, if, if we come back at the end of the year, you know, and this is where, you know, each of these lands, then it would be an interesting conversation because that would tell us that, um, you know, Tom, you know, Tommy Edmond uh, or uh, Nolan Arenado were very different as a hitter this year than we expected them to be. And it would be a really interesting, you know, conversation kind of, you know, how they had changed. Uh, you know, in the first week of June here, I just don't think we have enough to really feel that's where, we're, you know, where we're at yet. You know, and a big part of, of Edmond's 
um, you know, uh, especially that ex woba being where it's at, that you know his walk percentage, uh, he's in the fifty eighth percentile there, which is which is you know very good. You know, last year he was in the tenth percentile, and it's typically been more like that. So, um, you know, I just over time I expect his numbers to look more like Tommy Edmonds numbers and Nolan Arenado's numbers to look more like Nolan Arenado's numbers. But, um, you know, but I, I definitely appreciate the question and it's, it's something to keep an eye on because absolutely if these uh, look that way at the end of the year, uh, it will certainly, uh, you know, mean that one of these players is, has been very different than we expected them to be. And it'd be really interesting to kind of unpack why that is. So Ben, we've, uh, we've crossed the hour mark here. So I think we should, uh, uh, begin wrapping things up. So as we as we wind things down um, over this next run of games, what are you going to be watching for? Uh, I'm going to be watching uh, to see how the Cardinals uh, structure their starting pitching, but not just their starting pitching. How they they approach the middle innings in terms of relief. And we talked about it a little bit earlier. Do they try to go to more of a piggyback model or do they continue to play matchups? And then do they lean heavily on the Memphis shuttle uh, after the crunch of games created by the, the more condensed schedule in, in Wrigley? Uh, what do they do coming out of that after the off day? And, and how do they continue to approach uh, filling you know, nine innings worth of pitching uh, on a game-to-game basis. I'm I'm interested to see if they start trying to stretch a reliever to get two, three innings out of out of him. If that becomes more of a practice by Marmol. Yeah, I am. Uh, I am interested in that as well. Um, I am actually going to be watching something that is uh, even longer than just this next run of games. I'm going to be watching something over the next uh, couple of years, and I'm going to be watching to see if Paul Goldschmidt is a Hall of Famer. Because, Ben, I would not have thought that Paul Goldschmidt could be a Hall of Fame player when he came to the Cardinals. Would you, would you have thought that he had that trajectory in him? Uh, I, I think it's one of those things where I would have said it's possible but not yeah. likely. Uh, just given And that's kind of where I was as well. But, and I, I think I saw some folks kind of point some of this out recently on Twitter, so I you know, took a look. But it's, it's pretty impressive uh, where he's at. He's, he's at... Uh, and again, wins above replacement is, you know, kind of the easy way to look at these things. He's at 54 wins above replacement on uh, uh, baseball reference, 50 on fan graphs. Um, he's ranked about 20th among first basemen on uh, baseball reference, just to give you an idea. He's, you know, in either spot, he's up in a stratosphere where there's not many guys above him who are not Hall of Famers. That's, you know, some Will Clark type guys, um, you know, um, above him. And really, once he you know would get up to around sixty wins above replacement as a first baseman, um, he would be looking to be getting in pretty much like a lock for the Hall of Fame type um, type uh, range. So you know, could he get there? Well, uh, yeah, if he keeps playing like he is right now, <laughs> he could. So um, you know, he put up a you know five to six win season last year, and he strangely seems to be uh, you know playing even better this year. And, uh, you know, you keep thinking, well, this is uh, uh, some kind of a heater or an aberration, but it just keeps going and going. So um, so just to kind of give everybody some framework thinking about this, he's got 
two more full seasons on his Cardinals contract. So he'll be with the Cardinals um, in 2023 and 24. Those will be his age 35 and 36 seasons. And, you know, if he continues um, at, you know, uh, you know, even with some decline, I think it could be possible that you saw him get, an, you know, an extension beyond that. We know, um, obviously, that went really well with Matt Carpenter when they did that. But, um, you know, that could be something they did. So, you know, you could see him potentially even um, go a little more than that here. But um, let's say he, he played those just the seasons he has. He would have played eight seasons with Arizona and six in St. Louis. You know, let's say he accumulates those 60-plus wins above replacement I think it's possible that you have Paul Goldschmidt going into the Hall of Fame as a St. Louis Cardinal. And um, that is just a crazy thing to think about. <laughs> it's certainly not a lock or a certainty, but it's, uh, it's you know, very much uh, something that, that could happen. And, and uh, I, I, boy, I hope it happens because I absolutely love watching him play and, and especially the way he's been playing lately. And I'm excited we're going to get to watch it for at least the rest of this season and two more seasons after this. Yeah, it's really exciting. Um, and it's been so fun to watch him uh, hitting at this level because you you so rarely get to see a hitter locked in like this. And I think having Albert Pujols for the the first part of his career kind of spoiled it us because we saw it a lot. Um, and I think since then, maybe we've gained a greater appreciation for when a player like Goldschmidt uh, is hitting like this. Uh, it's just so special. And uh, the ball must seem like a beach ball to him because <laughs> he just he's yeah. destroying everything. And, you know, when he comes up, you just feel so confident as a fan. Uh, and it's just a blast and, uh, just enjoy the ride while we can, uh, because you, you never know when it's going to stop. And, uh, hopefully, uh, he continues producing at this level and does get in, inducted into Cooperstown. Uh, and whether it's as a diamondback or a cardinal, I, I won't begrudge him it because, uh, he seems like a really good guy, a really good teammate and, uh, He's an excellent player, and it would be a lot of fun to see him get inducted and enshrined in, in right. the Hall but of Fame. One, but once he's once he's won those three World Series as a Cardinal, I think it's going to make sense for him to go in as a Cardinal. <laughs> so. With a couple World Series MVPs, right? Exactly, exactly. And then he'll be... He'll be out there between uh, Stan the Man and George Sisler, and uh, you know he'll be out there among some other uh, very good uh, first basemen. So, Ben, do you have an off-day recommendation? I do. Uh, I read a post at The Score by Travis Sachik that uh, got me thinking, and I, I thought it was a good read, and I think our listeners might enjoy it. And the article of it is, Does a launch angle plateau tell us hitters are falling behind pitchers um and it's it's just an interesting kind of look kind of a high level look at where hitters are and uh with advanced stats and some of the technology and how it's hitting uh how they're approaching hitting and and what it means overall um and we even get uh, a quote from a Cardinals minor league hitting coach, uh, Russ Steinhorn, uh, which might be of interest to our listeners. So I encourage folks to go over to the score, uh, give that Travis Sachik 
uh, post a read because it's an interesting one. Yeah, he's a, a very good writer as well. So I will I will check that out. Uh, so my recommendation, um, my youngest son has just over the last one to two years has just absolutely gotten baseball fever and Cardinals baseball fever. So we uh, w- watch a lot of Cardinals things. One thing that we've watched a lot of are the the World Series movies and specifically the 2011 World Series movie um, and the 2006 one a little bit less. But I, that 2011 World Series movie, I have seen so many times at this point. Um, and I'm, I'm not tired of it, by the way. It's, it's still amazing. But uh, we, we were kind of looking for some other things to watch uh, recently. And I think he found, actually, the 1964 Cardinals World Series movie is available on YouTube. So it's, uh, it's narrated by Harry Carey. Um, it's, uh, it's just a lot of fun. It's about 40 minutes long. You know, it's all cut together after the world series was over, um, tells the story of the series, you know, kind of game to game. It's, it's really fundamentally, it's not that different from the way they still do world series movies now. But of course the, the look of it is very of its time. Uh, you know, they had a real limited number of film cameras, they were they were using back then, so they don't always have a great angle on everything. But they still do some really fun things. They'll kind of freeze frame some things to kind of like, oh, will it or won't it go over the wall and things like that. Uh, it's a lot of fun, and uh, you know, especially for a series like the '64 series, you've got these you know real uh, you know legendary Cardinals players. You've got these legendary Yankees players, and when you can kind of uh, luxuriate in watching them play a full series and really kind of see a little bit of who they are. Just a lot of fun. So, you know, you got 40 minutes. It's on YouTube. It's free. Check it out. What do you got to lose? Ben, anything else before we wrap things up? No. I Baseball season has officially begun. The Cardinals have played the Cubs. And uh, given the quality uh, that it looks like the Cubs are going to be providing uh, on the field this year, I'm glad to get started playing them a little bit more often because I think it'll help close the gap uh, between the Brewers and the standings. Oh, you say that, but the all the rules do not apply in Cardinals-Cubs series. It doesn't matter. No matter how bad the Cubs are, it can always go weird in a Cardinals-Cubs series. I, I believe that's true. That's That's very true, especially when the wind is blowing out at Wrigley. Well, you know, I, the first game of the series, they said that the, the all-time series between the Cardinals and the Cubs, is, it's, it's only one game difference. It's basically dead even. Yes. Which is insane when you think about how strong the Cardinals have been for so many years and how middling the Cubs have been for so many years. But it, again, it just speaks to, it's just, it's always competitive when they play each other. It almost, it doesn't really matter what the nature of the teams are the rest of the year. And and there is truth to that. I, I would be interested to see how that breaks down by decade. And maybe we need to look at that uh, for a future episode. Or maybe uh, maybe an off-season episode. We could look at the Cardinals-Cubs rivalry specifically and kind of figure out uh, how well they do play against one another when one's good and one's bad. Yeah, that would be interesting. Interesting to check out. So we'll... Uh... We'll maybe check that out later on. But for now, we will uh, we'll wrap things up. We appreciate everyone uh, listening. We appreciate Devont for the theme music, our good friend Dan for helping us out on social media, everyone who's sending questions, everyone who interacts with us at Cardinals Off Day on Twitter. Uh, thank you all, and we will see you on the next Cardinals Off Day.
Go Cards!